My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Skyly Storm Hogan and Krista McCracken. The political importance of thinking about archives and the practices that create and maintain them might not be immediately apparent. Yet today's guests argue that archives can be an important site of activism, and they cite both their own work with the Shingwok Residential Schools Centre and other examples from across the country. It's no secret that the experiences of people who have been marginalized in one way or another tend to get written out of history. Also, the important role of struggle by ordinary people in shaping the world that we live in is ignored most of the time, too. The version of history that results from all of this erasure contributes to keeping us feeling powerless and passive, and presents the injustices of the world as just how things are. Actively remembering those histories, however, can go far beyond just honoring where we came from to be part of an active process in the present of understanding that things don't have to be this way, and that the only thing that has ever made things better is ordinary people acting collectively. That sort of remembering otherwise can only happen as a result of rather a lot of work of various sorts including the preservation of documents, objects, stories, and images that have the potential to be the basis for such remembering. In other words, archiving. What eventually became the Shingwok Residential Schools Center began in 1981 with a reunion of survivors of the residential school that had existed in Sault Ste. Marie. Long before these conversations began happening at the national level, this gathering sparked a hard but crucial ongoing process of survivors, and eventually the children and grandchildren of survivors, telling their stories, talking about their experiences, listening to each other, and supporting each other. In other words, it was an example of remembering otherwise in the face of the dominant story of Canada that, even more in those years than today, completely erased the genocidal trauma at the core of the residential school system. Over the years, the gatherings have continued, and the Centre has amassed an impressive collection of photos, objects, and other important materials related to Shingwok Residential School specifically, and also to residential schools across the country. Though in recent years they've worked to archive that material in a more formal and systematic way, the priority for the Centre remains supporting survivors and their families, and being actively involved in shared, public, collective processes of remembering. Skyly Storm Hogan is a Haudenosaunee woman and a fourth-year student at Algoma University in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and she's been working for almost two years as an archive and resource assistant in the Shingwok Residential Schools Centre. Krista McCracken is a white settler woman and the archive supervisor at the center, and she recently wrote an article called Archives as Activism for the website activehistory.ca. The Shingwok Residential School Center is just one example of the different kinds of relationships that archiving projects can have to grassroots struggles for justice. 
Existing archives can be sources of material about the past that are useful in practical ways to movements and communities in struggle today. And increasingly, archives, both institutional archives wishing to engage with communities in new ways, as well as community-based and grassroots archival projects, are working to make sure that today's struggles are not forgotten. From the pioneering work of efforts like the Canadian Lesbian and Gay Archives, to more recent initiatives to preserve material from pivotal groups like Occupy Vancouver and Black Lives Matter Toronto, there's increasing attention to the importance of making sure that we don't lose the raw materials that will be necessary for engaging in grassroots, just, and liberatory remembering in the future. Hogan and McCracken speak with me about the Shingwalk Residential Schools Centre, about archives' activism more broadly, and about what people engaged in grassroots struggles can do themselves to make sure that their stories aren't lost. We spoke by Skype from Sault Ste. Marie. My name is Skyly Storm Hogan. I am a fourth-year student at Algoma University studying law and politics. I've been working for almost two years in the Shingwak Residential School Centre as an archive and resource assistant. I'd like to do my master's in public history. And uh, I'm a Haudenosaunee from the Mohawks of Ganawage. And I'm Krista McCracken. I'm the archive supervisor at the Shangwak Residential Schools Center here at Algoma University. And my background is in public history. The Shingwak Residential School Center is a grassroots community-based archive held at Algoma University in Sault Ste. Marie. We're actually located on the historic site of the Shingwak and Wawanosh Residential Schools. And the Shingwak Residential School Center Archive is really based around the idea of providing a space for residential school survivors to tell their history. And it's really focused on that survivor perspective. We collect material relating to residential schools all across Canada. I didn't start out necessarily wanting to work in archives. I didn't really know much about them. I got into that through being here at Algoma University and working with Krista. I was born during the Oka crisis. My parents were involved in that. I had always been raised with this concept of I'm a half Mohawk woman. I'm living in an illegally occupied state, and there was always those things that you have to reconcile with that. In working with archives here at Algoma University, I discovered that so much activism and so much political movement has been done in the past, and so little of it has actually reached us as the public or reached us as students and knowing about it. We can look at what our ancestors have done in the past and see where we are now and kind of step off of it. In the past, I didn't really think of archives as a place that really had those types of things. I thought of it more of like a Western knowledge-keeping place. That was more so focused on like tax records or like <laughs> the history of white Canada <laughs> more so than the history of our own people. But in working in the Shingwak Residential School Center, all of that is entirely based off of the experiences and the activism of survivor communities here in Sault Ste. Marie. And reading through it as a student and archiving it and processing it has been a tremendous source of inspiration for me. And I think that my work in the archives has really motivated me to be more involved in my community. Similar to Sky, I actually didn't intend to end up in archives. My background being in public history, I was exposed to archives as part of my coursework in my master's degree. However, I really thought I would end up in a museum setting. And by happenstance, 
when I was living near Sault Ste. Marie, a job posting at Algoma University came up that was for an archives technician in the Shingwak Residential School Centre. And that was in 2010. And I've been here since that point in various roles, but always deeply connected to the archives. And I'm extremely grateful to be in this role. It really has been a learning experience working here, and I'm constantly grateful for the guidance from the Children of Shingwak Alumni Association and other survivors that we work with. Coming in to working in this archive, I had read some standard histories, typically written by white men, about residential schools. I thought, okay, I've got a decent understanding of what this past is, but it wasn't until I really connected with those community members that I understood that that historical narrative that we were taught in schools and that was easily accessible really wasn't the complete story. And so as an archivist and as a historian, I really took that on myself to try and learn more individually, but also what can I do using my white privilege to help lift up those voices in the archive and expose students to those narratives and work with Indigenous communities to help support the work that they're already doing. And I recently wrote a piece for Active History on the connection of archives and activism. That post really looked at the different institutions across Canada that are collecting materials relating to grassroots movements, related to environmental activism and political activism, but also kind of just talking about how that act of collecting and the act of collecting material related to marginal communities can really be an act of activism in itself. Tell me about the origins of the Shingwak Residential School Centre. It was 10 years after the school had closed and Algoma had moved into the site and a professor who had been working at Algoma, Don Jackson, he had started asking questions about what the building had been prior and nobody in the community had been able to tell him what it was. I think mostly they just didn't want to talk about it. But Don wasn't really satisfied with that, and he sought out the former students, and they started working to bring everybody together to talk about what happened here. And that first reunion in 1981 was almost, like, hard for me to comprehend because, like, we really didn't start talking about residential schools until 20 years later. But these people, it was really brave what they did because they came together and they stood up on the steps of the school and they talked about their experiences and they talked about what happened to them. And unfortunately, a lot of the staff and teachers did come to that first reunion and there was a bit of a conflict because both sides didn't have the same feelings about what the system was and what this place was. And I feel like it really started this conversation. And so 35 years later, we still have the Children of Shingwap Alumni Association who is still having this conversation with the community of Sault Ste. Marie. They create initiatives here at the school. We almost have annually now reunions, now that we call gatherings, just because a lot of the community that comes to these gatherings are more so intergenerational survivors now, as the survivor community is aging. But we're still talking about those really important questions of what are survivors doing now? How are survivors living in 2017? What have we done to reconcile what has happened to survivors? And where is our progress to go from here? And this place is kind of a collection of all of that shared knowledge. Because when they came here in 1981, they all had photographs, they had records, they had things that they had taken home with them. Teachers had also kept things that they had taken home with them, and that kind of gave birth to this archive, which is really cool. What forms has that shared knowledge taken? 
some of that shared knowledge, I think, is actually just giving a voice to the survivor experience. So when the survivors came back to this site in 1981, they kind of realized that the historical narrative in Canada at that point wasn't encapsulating their point of view. And so even from the 1980s, they were really starting to record their own testimonies of their experiences, doing almost oral history style interviews, but sharing that knowledge so that it is preserved for future generations. Some of that community knowledge is also encapsulated when we're talking about the photographs that were taken at residential schools. Many of the photographs that were taken at residential schools across Canada were taken from the staff or administrative church perspective. And those photographs often were of students at the residential school. But if you looked at, say, the notes in a photo album, the only people named in the photographs would have been the white staff members. And so from the survivor perspective, their community knowledge came into play by identifying individuals in those photographs, but also reconnecting and building a community around these images, around those shared experiences to start that healing journey in some cases, but also just providing a safe support network where people can turn to and say, I went to residential school, I need to talk to somebody about that. And in some cases, that connection has resulted in lifelong friendships. In other cases, it's resulted in offshoot programming where the Shingwak Residential School Center has been involved in working with the Children of Shingwak Alumni Association to develop health support tools and things like that. I think that that's a really important part of the center is actually having those survivors accessible for groups to talk to and for people to get those stories from. Because like when you read a story or when you watch a recording, it's not really the same as having that person in the room with you, talking to you, telling you about their experiences in life. The community of Sault Ste. Marie and Algoma University has been gravely impacted by the CSAA and it's still impacted by them because they're so involved in local events and things that happen here. What has the work of the staff and students in the center looked like over the years? Prior to 2010, the Shingwak Residential School Center was completely staffed by volunteers, many of whom were personally connected to the residential school issue in some way, shape or form, be that that they had a relative who went to a residential school or that they themselves was a residential school survivor. And prior to 2010, most of the activities of the Residential School Centre were really focused on supporting that survivor community, that intergenerational community, by providing a community space, by putting together reproduction photo albums to take into communities, to show people what residential school photos looked like, and to connect First Nation communities with the photographs that were of their own community members. Starting in 2010, there really has been a movement to make the collections held at the Shingwak Residential School Center accessible to a wider range of people. And so part of the process that we've undergone is to describe and arrange material in the Residential School Center according to Canadian archival standards. We've also undertaken a very extensive digitization approach so that material is accessible online, it's described online, if there's images, we can search them online, so that we aren't really limited to the local Indigenous communities because so many people are connected to residential schools in different ways. 
And in the past few years, the Shingwak Residential School has also been really involved in education and outreach programming. So really teaching everybody from elementary, high school, post-secondary students, as well as professional development groups about the impacts of residential schools. Recently also talking about the TRC calls to action and how that can be brought into either your workplace or into your place of education and just providing more awareness around the history of residential schools. Draw out for listeners how the work of the Shingwok Residential School Center differs from that of a more formal institutional archive. We do still follow some of the same descriptive practices and arrangement practices as more Western colonial style archives. But things like our access policies and how we come up with our description practices are really connected to the survivor community. So if you come into the Shingwak Residential School Center space and you are a survivor or you're an intergenerational survivor, our policy is no matter what a staff member is doing, they drop everything they're doing and they come over to help you. That becomes their priority. Also eliminating some of the barriers to access around archives. Many archives are not friendly places for marginalized communities. There's a lot of red tape to go in and access materials. There's often pretty stringent policies around providing accurate ID and things when you come into the space or filling out researcher forms or research request forms that can be pretty burdensome or just difficult for many people to complete and are really geared towards privileging almost academics in those research spaces. Whereas the Shingwak Residential School Center really has a mandate to serve Indigenous communities and community-based researchers. And we really do try and make this space welcoming in that regard and to try and build in supports to eliminate some of those artificial or actual barriers to the space. For a lot of folks who access this, who are survivors, they tell me, you know, they were a little intimidated coming in because they weren't really sure what their reading and writing level would have to be in order to access the archive or to have those things explained to them. And sometimes that is part of our job. We do explain what those records mean, or we will put certain things in context for folks who maybe haven't been exposed to that type of information before. Whereas I know that a lot of other larger, more formal colonial institutions will really make those exceptions for accessibility for some folks because they're more concerned about the preservation, the security and the process rather than the connections and telling a story. We're the Shingwak Residential School Center in a name. So the focus is on a center and like archives isn't in the title of this place. It's something we do, but I think even just the term archives can be problematic. If you're talking to Indigenous knowledge keepers, and you start talking about archives, many of them kind of look at you like, okay, I'm not quite sure, like I get what you're saying by the context, but that isn't a word we use in our own communities. So I think even just the fact that how we identify is as a resource center, as a community space and an archive is really significant. Beyond the example of the Shingwak Residential School Center, how do you see archives and activism as connecting? Archives can be a great resource for activist movements in terms of providing, in some cases, that legal support or that legal history. Some archivists 
have also supported activist movements through, for example, using historical images in promotional material and things like that, connecting activist groups with that historical material that they can use in their present day campaigning. On the other side, I think the way that activism and archives collide is the role of the archivist in documenting underrepresented communities and just documenting activism movements itself. There is a lot of really important activism going on across Canada. I think in some cases that sometimes it isn't documented in a way that we're able to go back to generations later. And I think that's a role that archivists and archive staff can really play in helping facilitate some of that memory and that experience. I find archives are very important in also documenting history fairly for marginalized people. I didn't really think much of the role of the archivist beforehand. I didn't think of how much power they have in shaping public consciousness. But I had a colleague tell me, you know, you are one of the most powerful people in the institution because if you don't agree with something that you find in history, you could just go and throw it out and no one would ever know. And for me, that was absolutely horrifying because that's me sitting there going, well, has everything I've been taught for the last 20 years actually true? Or was it just decided that that's the version that I'm supposed to hear. And for me, that's a big part of how archives and activism can collide because movements and activism can be quashed by poor keeping of history. What are some other examples of ways that archiving projects and movements and communities and struggle can be in relation with one another? In BC and Vancouver, there has been a effort to document the Occupy Vancouver movement, for example, through documenting their formal meeting process, but also some things like their signs when they were occupying public spaces that I think do a good job of documenting some of that ephemeral material that would have just disappeared if an archivist hadn't stepped into that space. There's also really great examples in Montreal of the Jewish community in Quebec really working to document their own heritage, but also documenting their experiences of being marginalized in Quebec and documenting their advocacy against racism. I know in Toronto, there's been a lot of effort to try to archive the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as in Halifax, there's been quite a movement to try to make more public the history of Africville because a lot of Canadians don't know that history in particular and they don't know the struggle of uh, Black Nova Scotians. I think another one of my favorite examples of an archive that's really a grassroots community-based one is the Canadian Lesbian and Gay Archives in (laughs) Toronto. It's really documenting queer communities across Canada, but really started as a way to document the activism of the queer community and was really connected to some of those early political campaigns for equal rights. Some of the archives that are doing a better job of that connection are really working with communities to bring them into the archive space and really working with them to develop policies and talking to them about, okay, we're interested in expanding our collections. We're interested in documenting your community, but we really want to support you and we don't want to take it away from your community. We want to work with you to document your own heritage and help you have the tools to preserve your own memory, but not remove it from your community and disconnect it from it. Archives that are doing it in a holistic way or in a culturally appropriate way are ones that are looking to community groups and looking to partner with them. 
that is really about breaking down those archival barriers. Yeah. And so getting into the spaces the community is in, not asking marginal communities or people who don't feel comfortable in an archival space to make them come into here. Yeah. Really reaching out and getting into the spaces that they're in, I think is crucial. What kinds of advice would you give to people involved in movements or in communities in struggle who are not themselves archiving professionals, but who want to do something at least to begin preserving material connected with the struggles that they're involved in? I think it's mostly just keeping things. We did an exhibit last summer with the Water Walkers, which is a group of women who walk around the Great Lakes and rivers to express the Indigenous perspective on keeping our water safe. And they kept some things, but things you wouldn't think would be important, like people writing about why that this is important to them and stuff like that. And we had those quotes kept in a book as a part of the exhibit. Those types of things people don't think are important, like comments that people leave on Facebook or a message that someone sends to you. And we tend to think of those things as fairly trivial because we're from a generation, we're from a time where we remember the time before the internet. We think the internet is a toy, we think it's silly. But for people like me, who first day of kindergarten got sat down in front of a MacBook, like that's your life. You were raised from computers from day one. This is our entire culture. As, and it's going to be very important for us to realize that we may not think things are archive worthy, but they may be. And advice for people involved in movements is try to keep backups of things, keep drives of things. And then once you have this collection of things, please contact someone. Contact archives and contact institutions. If you don't know where to find those things, contact universities in your area or even just go online and try to seek those services out. Because keeping them yourself, I mean, it can work. But a lot of times folks don't know what to keep or they store it the wrong way and then you end up losing that. Reaching out to an archivist earlier on when you have all that material is really invaluable because I know we've had a lot of boxes that we've gone through where, yeah, like a fair amount of it we did not need to keep. But because they kept everything, we ended up having so many things that were important for documenting the movement of what happened here at Shingwalk. In many cases across Canada, there is a provincial archives or a provincial archival organization. So in Ontario, it's the Archives Association of Ontario, and they have a archives advisor position who, if you're looking at maybe setting up a community archive or things like that, they have some documents as well as some expertise that they can kind of point you in the right direction. And most provinces across Canada have similar positions in their provincial archival organizations that are useful in terms of providing some of those resources and some of those connections. And if you aren't sure where to start or where the closest archive is, connect with your local library, because many of them might have a local history collection. And even if they don't, librarians are great at making those connections and connecting you to the information that you need. You have been listening to my interview with Skyly Storm Hogan and Krista McCracken about the work of the Shingwalk Residential Schools Center and about McCracken's recent article, Archives as Activism, on activehistory.ca. To learn more about the Residential Schools Center, go to shingwalk.org. That's S-H-I-N-G-W-A-U-K dot org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.